0: welcome back to another episode of the max term podcast kyle stitch here alongside james finch and today we're gonna be starting looking around how the early season the nhl is going uh there's been some definitely some cap discussions to be had some trade discussions some outstanding contracts that still haven't been figured out as well as some extensions that were signed uh, that we haven't kind of talked about on this podcast yet so that's kind of where the focus is going to be in today's episode kind of look around the league where things stand where we see kind of maybe things going um we appreciate you listening to this podcast subscribing on uh, any major platform you may consume podcasts on um you we also appreciate any questions thoughts anything at afp analytics on twitter Um, And AFPanalytics.com You might hear us reference some kind of business terms And stuff throughout this episode We're building out a kind of reference glossary If you will on AFPanalytics.com So if you hear any Salary cap contract related terms That you might be unfamiliar with That we forget to explain a little bit more in depth I highly recommend Going there, see if you can uh, Get clarity there If not, also tweet at us And uh, we'll look into updating it, adding it to the website. Um, Any ads or anything you might hear associated with this podcast are not necessarily products that either of us are working with or endorsing, and we're not giving out any level of inside information this episode. It's just kind of our opinions. What we're hearing, we're using publicly available reporting that all of you can find on Twitter or wherever you're following, most of the NHL reporters. And with that, I think we start with probably let's start before the season actually with the Buffalo Sabres locking up Rasmus Dallin Owen Power that's kind of uh that happened between our last episode that we've kind of recorded in now so we want to get it on the record our thoughts on those two contracts so Dallin and Power your thoughts I guess I would start
1: with my very initial reaction to the deals overall I think they're good deals I think they both came in a little bit higher than I think everyone was expecting at least at first um I think once you have a chance to really sit and kind of think about it for a bit it makes sense where those deals ended up but that that very initial reaction I think was a little bit of a shock of how high Darlene went how high power went but um I think that's kind of where contracts are going to start trending Um, especially with the cap increasing.
0: Yeah, I think you have to look a little bit forward thinking for both of those deals. Uh, Dowing the Sabres kind of back themselves into that corner to an extent. He's coming off what's generally dubbed a bridge deal, uh, meaning he signed his entry-level contract, then after that signed a short-term deal at kind of lower dollars than he would have gotten on a max-term deal. And the Sabres reaped those benefits for a couple years. In our Pacific Division preview, we talked about uh, Trevor Ziegris with the Ducks and why that probably isn't a great thing. And the same really applies to the Sabres with Darlene here is they had cap space and a couple years ago chose not to use it. Um, and hey, they had to pay up for him this time. Um, I've however many years ago at this point, did uh, did some math and everything and found out most of the times that's usually what happens is it comes back kind of to bite the team. So if like I was running the Sabres, I would have tried a couple years ago to get Darlene locked up eight and a half, nine million for eight years. So six more years, I believe it would, the math would be so, but once you get to where you are, I mean, I think you're kind of backed into the hole. And then Owen Power, I think, the the interesting one. Savers went long-term, only went seven years, and they probably also back themselves a little and do that corner as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's important, something we've mentioned in past episodes uh, regarding other situations, but... With the cap increase happening, and like you said, you kind of need to be forward thinking when looking at these deals. We've kind of said, if we were advising these players, why sign now because of those cap increases? Which kind of leads to the perspective of if you are going to sign now, it pretty much needs to be a deal that you would expect next year. So with Owen Power specifically, uh, to kind of touch on him what he's going to be making is I I think there's arguments that it's a bit too high for the way he performed last season and I I think I would honestly agree with that but at the same time a, a big part of this is what do you project the player to be in the future and he has all the makings and there's signs of he could be a number one defenseman Which is where you kind of lean towards signing that bigger deal. So while right now it might be a little bit of a, is he actually worth uh, 8.35 against the cap? Well, maybe right now, today, no. But the expectation is in the next year or two, he will be. And then let's say just maybe the last
0: four or five years of the deal, that's where the Sabers are actually kind of happy about this. Yeah, they're they're planning on reaping their benefits later on. And again, I kind of hinted like, oh, the Sabres kind of back themselves in indirectly with the power deal. So once once they had to go eight years now with Dallin, they kinda can't go eight with power as well and have the potential for both of their franchise defensemen to Be walking in the same summer, a la Daniel Briere and Chris Drury, many many years ago, and yeah, you just you have to structure your kind of contracts in a manner that, yes, you want to reap the most value, but you also want to be forward looking as well, and them locking up players long term's tremendous, and it's probably going to allow them to have a true contender window be open for a while, but. At some point, you're going to have tough decisions to make on a Thompson, a Cousins, a Power, Darlene at some point, plus all your other guys coming up.
1: So I I don't mean to scare Sabres fans, but you brought up the drury Breer situation, and I think it is a good time to point out Um, I I guess it fits the conversation that you mentioned, Tage Thompson and Dylan Cousins, their deals both end the same year. So they might have avoided the the two defensemen walking, the defensive uh, franchise stars, you said. But, uh, I mean, there's potential down the road
0: for the center situation to happen all over again. Yeah, I didn't want to quite quite go as explicit but yeah as i was saying that's like well yeah that's that's exactly what's gonna what could occur um so deline power i i think both of us would agree the sabers did fine to probably good they're probably going to look really smart in a couple years but at the same point they definitely maybe were a little generous for both players, which isn't necessarily a bad thing either. But I think if they had really wanted to play hardball a little bit, maybe they can get that down just a touch.
1: I I think hardball, maybe it might have worked with Owen Power a little bit. I think you could get that a little lower um, because you have him in the situation coming off the entry level. But I think with Darlene, you're kind of... I mean, you phrase it—they're backed into a corner, and I, I think they kind of—if you're going to take a loss on a situation—that—that's that, one they didn't
0: get right, and they've got to deal with that. Yeah, not a big L by any means. but, no, but, but definitely, definitely an issue. Um, and realistically, I think they still—I think they're still going to get credit for getting that eight year term and that seven-year term because you look at what other star players are starting to do in the league and we're looking at four or five-year contracts. So I think the max term here is what's important.
1: Yeah, I I think so too. And uh, again, we're kind of saying that 11 million AAV is up there, but similar to a lot of the deals we talk about when we look three, four, five years down the road, it's going to be a lot more comfortable once we start seeing, as an example, uh, Cal McCarr signing a new deal because um, his deal was, I believe, only six years. So he's going to sign. He's going to beat that. We're going to start seeing players beating that. And by the midway point of this deal, that $11 million for a Norris contender most likely, it's not going to hurt too bad.
0: Yeah, and Kevin Adams' noted max-term fan, so thanks, Kevin. We appreciate (laughs) your support of this podcast. So Sabres probably did well with their long-term deals. I think those weren't necessarily the surprising ones right before the start of the season. I was absolutely shocked. I might say as shocked as when uh, Tower Hall was traded one-for-one for for Adam Larson and PK was traded for Shea Weber, that the Winnipeg Jets signed both Connor Hellbuck and Mark Shifley to seven-year contracts, and both of them are going to be very much on the wrong side of 30 when those contracts are kind of reaching the tail end there.
1: Yeah, so uh, just a, I guess, a recap of the AFP analytics opinion of the Winnipeg Jets. We pretty much said beginning of the offseason they should be rebuilding. I will acknowledge a big part of that was kind of with the expectation that Hellebuck wanted out. Um, I, I guess that was the main one, but you've also got Shifley, um as a UFA the following year. And um, just kind of being one of those teams that hasn't quite been good enough. That said, they signed them both a little bit of a surprise because I think a big part of that expectation of them leaving was it seemed like they weren't happy. Um, I I saw, and I, I don't want to use actual quotes because I don't remember them off the top of my head. I don't have any in front of me, but I, I saw something about Hellebuck Basically saying that he was really just wanting to know that they were going to keep trying to win, um and a big part of that was I don't just want me to get a long-term deal. W- what's happening with Shifley, and you, you know, I, I guess they get them both done. The Hellebuck deal—that's kind of what I expected to happen, and. You you might be paying for three four five years maybe of elite play from him, and those last few years kind of hurt. Um, the Shifley one is the one where I think we
0: both kind of agree is possibly not going to age too well. So I think there's I think there's a quick interlude like we well, you really had run both both uh contract extensions, have had it uh, part of our contract projections. There's been a tab there for however long. Realistically, based on what our projections were for both players, the Jets did well with the deal. Like, they yes. they did well market value-wise. Yes. The issue that we are kind of seeing and want to note is great. They did fantastic find market value but you also have to consider where the player is on their age curve and Mark Shifley um I mean he's been fine to pretty good the past couple years but questionable playoff performances for sure but I don't know a 30 year old center basically locking them in until their late 30s is is questionable to me but hey, if if he provides a level of good play for that same three, three to five-year window that Hellbuck does, you're probably fine because the cap's going to be, by the end of that deal, hopefully risen dramatically where that eight-and-a-half-ish isn't looking so bad. Um, and I think the other kind of thing that maybe helped Hellbuck make that decision to stay is Pierre-Luc Dubois, Pierre P. L. Dubois, how he's uh, preferring now, um, The Jets went with the retool option there, and maybe that was kind of the sign that, hey, they are going to keep contending and everything. But I'd also argue that maybe they should have tried to do the exact same thing with Mark Shifley.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is where it gets tough because so for the Jets, Shifley is their number one center. Um, And like you said, when we look at deals like this for a player that's hitting 30 or just getting to the, I guess we'll say the wrong side of 30 for um, professional sports purposes, it's tough to give up that franchise center even though you know this deal might hurt years down the road. And one of the things we see pretty much every year, even though we say, ah, that might not be the best thing, is... A lot of GMs, especially when they're close to contention or maybe they're feeling a little bit on the hot seat, is I'm gonna get something done now that works now, maybe works for the next couple of years. I'm not gonna worry about what it's gonna look like six, seven years down the road. And in a sense, like okay, you you can make that logic make sense, but there's a pretty good counter argument against it. I'm kind of dancing around one thing here, and it it's the fact that it's not easy to find a number one center. So if you think you have one, you kind of have to keep them. Um, that said, we've talked about it a little bit. Shifley, I think there's th- the big goal totals um, really help him pass, I think, as a number one center, but I think there's sometimes some questions about how well of an all-around player he
0: is and i think the other thing is it's easiest for us to sit here talking into these microphones like we wouldn't have done that but we also don't know what was available potentially via the trademark like it's easy for us to sit here and spew off oh we we think trading him would have made the most sense well that's great but if the best offer was a second fourth round pick well yeah you're not finding a close to number one center for that so well
1: most likely not
0: i mean if if, if you're uh you know a, working with a for a smart team you're not giving up a number one center <laughs> for that but uh yeah they occasionally do happen i guess but yeah you're not you're not getting that same level of performance if you're getting back kind of pennies on your dollar whatever, however you want to say that. And maybe maybe we're over-assessing what was available in the trade market. It seems from the outside perspective, I guess, that Mark Schreifle, good center, reasonable contract for this year where there's kind of a cap crunch and the Jets potentially could have retained some of that should have gotten a fairly good return. And then suddenly you, you move Pierre pl dubois and then you move shifley retool really quickly and frankly your lineup probably looks better long term but again that's easy for me to say sitting here but i don't know what type of conversations were had
1: exactly um one last thing sort of related before we move on to a different topic um i don't know if we've said this specifically um when we project contracts We're projecting what we think the player could get, not necessarily a contract that we would recommend giving the player. So there's definitely instances out there where we project a contract and it's a player who might actually be really good and is just a little underappreciated. It would be a pretty good value contract in our eyes. There's other contracts we project where it's like, uh, depending on our situation, the team situation, might not do that um and that's where we've kind of gone back and forth about Shifley so our our projection for him was about nine million uh AAV for seven years which Winnipeg actually did a little bit better than that which is good but that's also one of those contracts for all the reasons we just mentioned that it gives us a little pause and just because we projected that doesn't mean we'd necessarily be comfortable doing it
0: and probably the final new contract that's been signed recently, Devontae's with the Colorado Avalanche. Seven years, $7.25 million, which is about 500000 less per year than we had projected on our contract extensions. I mean, I think we pat ourselves on the back a little bit with this one in that we, we were pretty darn close. And I think realistically... Taves took a level of a hometown discount to stay with Colorado.
1: Yeah, so what, what can be tougher with extensions is, yes, players are allowed to sign them July, well, when free agency starts. Um, historically, July 1st, but that date could move a little bit. The thing with Taves, I think, is he's an example of teams and players waiting a bit. Um, in this case, it was right at the start of the season. But even further into the off season, a lot can happen that kind of changes the contractual landscape of the league. Um, so w- we had 7.725. Um, he got 7.25. So like you said, that's about 500K difference. That said, where I would usually expect the contract landscape to change, change, it's usually we would project a deal and it becomes a little dated as far as our projection might be a little low. In this case, it was a little bit high. Um, and I think the big part of that you touched on it was – it seemed like he just really wanted to be in Colorado and get that done there. Um, because if you were to ask me a couple weeks ago before this deal was signed, if you said, with everything that's happened this off season, the different deals people have gotten, the seven years, 7.725 that you had projected... Do you think that's still reasonable? And I would have probably said, I think he could get a little bit higher on the open market now, but he ends up coming in a little bit
0: less. Yeah. I mean, if he had gotten eight plus, I don't think that would have been surprising whatsoever. I think he would have had an absolutely hot market in the off season. But again, he wanted to stay in Colorado. They got a deal done. I'm not, I'm not knocking this from the player side whatsoever. I think it's a good deal for Devontae's as well. Again, did he leave money on the table? I think so, but I also think that a lot of the Colorado Avalanche players have left a little bit of money on the table as well. So that that's what kind of starts to happen with the good teams is the players all kind of band together and decide, yeah, we'll, we'll take a little bit less. Um, But I mean I I think him and Brandon Montour would have been the two hot names to watch this off season and one at least on defense um and one's already off the table and the other is still recovering from shoulder surgery so um I I I like this is really good work by Colorado
1: Yeah just real quick with him signed now it's probably going to be Montour and Hannafin is probably the two UFAs, uh, assuming they don't sign a deal. Um, but the thing I want to point out with Taves is look around the league at just the defensemen everyone else has. I don't think enough people realize that Taves would probably be the number one on about half of the league, uh, about half of the teams in the league. He's He's that good. I would say going back a few years, he's been that good all the way back to his last year with the Islanders. It was pretty obvious from a numbers perspective that this player was just very, very good. He, I think, was very underrated at the same time because he ended up getting traded for two second-round picks. It's one of the best deals I think I've seen in a while as far as Colorado's perspective of it. I think some of that underrated sentiment towards Taves might even play into where his contract ended up at. Um, I think it very much helps Colorado, at least from a perception standpoint, It is he's behind Cal McCarr on the Avalanche. He He isn't the Avalanche top guy. They've also got another younger player coming up in Bo Byram. Um, Sam Gerard's a decent top four guy. They've got a really solid core defensively. So, one, he doesn't stand out quite as much as he would on other teams, but I think there's also a small bit of leverage for Colorado that They could say you know what like we're gonna pay you you're you're a really good player but we've got a good defense like if you ended up walking after a year it would hurt a bit but we're gonna be okay so I I don't think that's huge leverage but I think it might have played into this situation a little bit
0: yeah for um I think Colorado's top four defense like that's so so good with a combination: McCarr, Gerard, Taze, Byram. I think the one potential knock, and and again, I still love this deal from Colorado's perspective. I think the one, actually, I'll say two knocks that I'm gonna throw out as we as we wrap up on Taze here. One, he is going to basically be thirty by the time contract starts, so this takes yeah. him to thirty-seven. I think if he's still at a decent level towards the back end, you're still fine with with this cap hit, but not not ideal. And I think the other is, um, Bo Byram. They went short term on. I mean, we talked already about Dalene, and and how that played out. So maybe maybe it's kicking the can down the road a little bit on Byram. Um, I think at some point it's probably Gerard at this point who gets moved out. It seemed like yeah. it was probably gonna be one of Taser Gerard to not be there long term. Giving Taze this contract probably keeps him. Byram, as long as he can stay healthy, is is gonna be there. Makar is going to be there. So probably this answers the question of who's maybe the long term guy out. But at the same point, Sam Gerard is also only five million dollars, and that's going to be you would think fairly reasonable under a uh, rising cap in a couple of years so
1: yeah and i i want to throw out there colorado in the past half decade has been i i would say one of the smarter teams from just a cap management roster management perspective so i'm i'm not i i do agree that towards the end of that deal it could come into play that it's a little bit of an issue but with how they've built their team i i think colorado's still very comfortable with their future
0: yeah and and probably at the end of that taze's deal there's some other deals on their books that might not look as good either so at that point it's it's you're you're living with what it is so yeah. um yeah i think i think that's kind of where where Taze kind of sits and i and again really solid work by the avalanche to get that player locked up Multiple teams played their first and or second game short of player or players because they had no way or at least or maybe strategically it didn't make sense for them to have a full roster that was cap compliant. They probably couldn't be have a full roster cap compliant or they wanted to maximize long term injured reserve so did a little bit of gymnastics there which might have let, led them to playing uh, their first game short as well but 14 teams in the first week of the season have not submitted basically a 23-man roster
1: yeah so um as of today we're recording october 16th um it We saw this Puckpedia put it out. Uh, So as of today, the 16th of October, 14 teams would not be able to call up a player if they needed to. Um, So almost half the league would have issues if they had some more serious injuries guys were not able to suit up. One of the teams specifically, Ottawa Senators, which they're, I would say, the team that is feeling this situation the most right now um they've only got 20 players on the roster and if you do the math um that's not really any
0: extras yeah and ottawa chose to basically do that to themselves like This is the tough thing is I don't know how a team like Ottawa who's been a salary floor team as recently as just a couple seasons ago goes and ends up uh, basically above the salary cap ceiling. Yes, they've dipped into free agency. Claude Giroux's fine. Jonas Corposalo, we will see. I guess he's had an I will say okay start to the season. That might be, I guess, the best that best we can say. Um, but then you get you voluntarily signed Zach McEwen. Yeah,
1: to a minimum deal, three years though. Interesting.
0: The Josh but. Norris situation with him being injured but them not wanting to put him on long-term injured reserve which would keep him out 10 games 24 days whichever uh but basically both would have to pass or whichever is longer however you want to think about that that's not helping the situation but it's still like they they still would be at even if he's in the lineup, they're still at the ceiling and can't recall anyone. So, the issue that they're facing is Shane Pinto's still unsigned,
1: yeah. And that, um, one from a development perspective, a 22 year old center, you don't want him unsigned and not playing games, um. I don't want to reiterate necessarily everything you just said. I fully agree with everything you just said. Um, There were moves that they made where they put themselves in this situation. I think they should have been able to see it coming to an extent with how many other teams are right up there against the cap. It's not easy to... guess what we'll call it buy cap space right now they're trying to reportedly buy some cap space uh, move a player or two off of their roster Um, before we get to that the thing with shane pinto to point out i think is that the longer this goes on we originally just had him going two years at about 1.9 million Again, it's not as simple as if he were to sign two years at $1.9 million. That's not the way the salary cap works. Um, as we get into the season, that $1.9 million would actually count for a bit more. Um, and the amount that it accounts for will increase as we get further into the season.
0: Yeah, I don't have a I don't have the write up on that yet on uh, afpanalytics.com, but that I think is one of the things that's on my to-do list is to talk about how salary cap space fluctuates over the course of the season. I think I think the easiest way to summarize this is the Sanders would have to account for whatever his full cap space is or full cap it is for the course of the season in whatever time frame he's going to play for them. So so it gets prorated up, basically, because there's, he's playing less time, but it still has to be accounted for kind of over the course of the full season. I think that's probably the simplest way to put that.
1: Yeah, if you kind of want to really just phrase it as far as what does this mean for Ottawa, it's the longer this goes on, the worse it gets.
0: Yeah, and that's where, I mean, hopefully the Josh Norris injury is is a short-term injury, but that's where you start to wonder, like, okay, if that starts to drag on, if there's a setback, is that where the cap space comes from, putting him on long-term injured reserve? It might be the easiest way to bite the bullet, at least short-term, but... Once he's healthy and he has to come off, then you're you're still getting yourself into kind of gymnastics. I think the question really would then be at that point is ever is everyone else healthy? To me, I think you bite the bullet sooner than later and kind of assume someone else is going to miss some time and kind of see how long you can go with this long term injured reserve gymnastics situation. And I, I, I don't know. That's that's probably the best way. I mean the the other thing with Ottawa looking through things, their dead cap money from just bad past decisions is five million dollars. Matt Murray retained salary, buy and then buyouts of Bobby Ryan, Colin White, which isn't really that bad, and Michael Delzado also not really that bad, but Matt Murray and Bobby Ryan, almost three over three million between the two, and then like that's that's a lot of that. They're Shane Pinto right there. Like if you make yeah. one less bad decision, you have Shane Pinto.
1: Which honestly, the Bobby Ryan one, I won't even really get on him for, um, because at at the time they're they're signing a good top six winger but like the the Matt Murray one that was a little bit questionable and I don't think it's really a shock to anyone that it kind of is um causing some issues right now for them.
0: And I think the the place Ottawa finds themselves in is probably even tougher now because they've actually started the season playing some pretty good hockey and the two names that have been kind of most connected with Clearing this cap space, well, at least one of them, Matthew Joseph, has has been really, really good. So it's like I'm sure they could get rid of him, but I think that that's hurting their hockey team that has started off really strong in, in the Atlantic division.
1: Yeah, so for the past, I want to say couple months maybe, It's pretty much been Matthew Joseph's name out there, um, for the most part. Now that he's playing well, there's another name floating around out there, Eric Brandstrom, which is interesting. I I won't spend too much time on this, but uh, a week into the season, and all of a sudden, well, wait a minute, we don't want to trade him anymore. Are we going to let a week decide what we're going to do here, one week of games, like a handful of games. I don't know if that's the best way to run a team, but I think we've demonstrated Ottawa has made some questionable decisions anyway, so I'm not shocked that this is how the situation's playing out. Interesting situation because, I, I guess to put it bluntly, it's not going to be easy to free up this cap space. Teams are going to make them pay. Because, like we kind of started this conversation with, almost half the league has no cap space to add a player, even from within their own organization, let alone make a trade work. So what we kind of look at here is, so Matthew Joseph starts the season looking really good, yet Ottawa might find themselves in a position where they actually need to still attach assets to Matthew Joseph just to move the money. And to be completely honest... Really, to paint the full picture here, Matthew Joseph is making two point nine five million so we'll uh, we'll call it three million dollars most years that's not a very significant number um, this year it is because again half the league pretty much cannot add a player um and I wanna say there are six teams that could fit that salary right now on their roster um it and i I guess maybe a little bit more than that because other teams could send some players down but just at the current cap space six teams um trying to paint the picture of this is just a terrible situation to be in because you might need to trade a player who is actually doing well for you starting the season off well just so you can fit in another contract
0: and two of those six teams are teams that kind of wants Ottawa in a tough spot because they're trying to get ahead of them, stay ahead of them in the standings, however you want to look at it. Detroit and Buffalo are two of those teams. And I think there's a very strong possibility that one or two playoff spots in the East come down to those potentially three teams. And you're not looking to throw... The one who's off to the best start, a bone, really, if you're if you're one of the other ones. So sure, would Matthew Joseph maybe fit and make those two teams better? I think so, but better enough where you're going to help Ottawa maybe get better? I that I'd say probably not. Yeah. So the uh so <laughs> Ottawa wants to move Matthew Joseph, and the Canucks seemingly want to move Connor Garland, who's coming in with a cap hit just under five million dollars. So, if we're demonstrating that Ottawa's having trouble finding space for Matthew Joseph, the robust market for uh, for Connor Garland is well, I say robust, tongue tongue in cheek, because it's really limited. Be Almost no teams can take him on full cap hit without sending players down or sending a player back, however you want to kind of phrase that. So Connor Garland's a good two way forward. I mean, I don't know why Vancouver's like insisted on moving him. I that's probably it's probably the first mystery. Who knows I don't know what's going on behind the scenes there. But Connor Garland seems to be available. And there's teams that are interested, but most likely it's going to take Vancouver first retaining some salary on a longer-term contract, which is definitely not ideal, and then probably taking back a player, and that may or may not be ideal. Yeah, and
1: not even just the taking back a player, but they might need to attach other assets to make it happen. Um. So I'm, I'm going to throw out a team That has been linked to this situation The Chicago Blackhawks So Garland's at 4.95 The Blackhawks have the most cap space in the league At just over 11.4 So they, they could definitely fit Connor Garland So there could be NHL fans, hockey fans That say, well, Chicago should do it They can easily fit him but if Chicago is smart, which I'm going to say let's pretend they are at least. i um, give
0: them a little more credit with their, at least, say, their management. Yeah, but now I, I think so, yes. Um, if, if we're going
1: to say Vancouver calls up Chicago and says, all right, Connor Garland, let's get a deal done, I don't think Chicago is going to just make it easy for them because they have the cap space. They're going to point and say, well, majority of the league can't fit player you're trying to trade so why why would we just kind of let you off the hook pennies on the dollar pretty much to take on the player when we can kind of squeeze you make it hurt a little bit too so it just because there's teams that have that space doesn't mean it's just going to be a easy fit easy trade with that team it's going to be
0: complicated still Although Chicago also is the team that uh basically took Nick Felino back with uh, Taylor by taking on Taylor Hall and didn't get a whole lot of additional in return there, so uh may- Foligno, maybe should...
1: that that was separate. That was separate, I think. Felino was a UFA that
0: Well, his rights were attached in that tower. Well Hall well trade, yes. So but have to I, pay say, I say it tongue in cheek but also yeah may, maybe I should have a little less confidence in Chicago make, making this the super smart decision there you know I mean it would be the same as saying hey give us Tyler Myers too so we can sign him to a big contract for next season
1: which I mean I, I would say wh-
0: one year the four million it's it's
1: insane it doesn't match the value him and Corey Perry but if I mean, they really only needed to do it for one of them if they were worried about being above the cap floor. Um, so it doesn't fully explain that situation. But, yeah, Chicago could make some borderline questionable decisions beyond those two. Um, it it wouldn't be crazy to see it. But I, I more just wanted to throw that out there as a, even the teams that have the space, it's not going to be easy to get it
0: done. Yeah. Um. I mean, and then you question with like a Chicago, what motive, how motivated are they to make their team better? And because Connor Garland wouldn't make their team oh, better. Yeah. Yep. And I mean, they want to take some level of step forward forward and they want the players that are doing that to be longer to be younger players and garland kind of he's not young young but he's at least under contract for a couple years um so it's it's a fine line to me but i don't know if i'm chicago yeah i i need i need to be paid handsomely to help vancouver out it just it doesn't make sense to even if they can get him discounted it doesn't make sense to do that for the sake of doing it I guess
1: yeah and to to be clear Chicago has the ability to kind of bend a little more than a team like say uh, the New York Rangers or the New Jersey Devils teams that are they have cap space but are way closer to that upper limit um, Chicago can bend but Again, it's not going to be easy to find the right deal. They're going to bend just enough if they want a deal to happen.
0: They'll bend just enough to make it happen, not anymore. And just just for the record, putting the wrap on the what Chicago got on that deal for Taylor Hall. They required Taylor Hall and the signing rights for Nick Foligno for two minor league players. So uh, yeah. I, they didn't do real well there. I think if they're going to take on Connor Garland, they need to do better than that and... So yep. I think that's that's the bar is they need to get an asset of value more so than Nick Felino's signing rights.
1: Yeah, I, I think just situationally and from a like a, a time frame perspective, that was beginning a free agency. That that's just something they decided they wanted to do. Add Taylor Hall, bring in Nick Felino, my assumption would be hope for a decent bottom six play and good leadership um now it's more of a well this team's looking for some cap relief a little bit of help i I think the mindset shifts of can we put a good team or good players around bedard to how can we take advantage of another team's cap issues little little bit different
0: yeah uh so 14 teams don't really have cap space um i mean just kind of started the season couple couple general thoughts and everything i think one of the things that i've noticed we've kind of we kind of were noticing the first couple games is on ice um it seemed like and i and i i don't i can't think of games past like the first couple nights where i saw it quite as much but Anytime there was a level of a hit and someone was standing up for their teammate, I guess is the way to phrase it. Um, some level of instigator penalty was being given, which I think is the correct application of the rule. And maybe a good idea to get some of the, I won't say dirty hits, but get of the fighting some of the scrums out of hockey that don't need to be, be there like there I mean I don't want to I don't know I I don't know exactly where I stand on like standing up for a teammate but sometimes it's absolutely ridiculous that any hit has to result in another player coming in to quote-unquote address the situation and it's like that's a hockey hit so I think curbing it to an extent needs to happen but I think the question is going to be is it going to consistently happen
1: um, If I had to answer that last question, I'd say no. Um, I feel like in general, not just this rule, but just all rules. Generally, it's a little more strict early on in the season, and it kind of just throughout the year and into the playoffs gets less strict. Um, that said, this is kind of a new thing happening right now where they're actually calling that penalty and much more often frequently than they were just this past year so i i agree that we've seen it a handful of times already and it's the right thing to do based off of the rules it gets tough because this is all part of a bigger hockey culture conversation of the sticking up for your teammate which is hard to say no you should not stick up for your teammate. In a way, you should, It's, but then this it, it becomes a debate back and forth of, well, should fighting be? And, and there's answers on both sides that make some sense, and I think there's not a clear decision to be made other than you want the game to be a little bit safer and I think the way to really get there isn't to just instill a rule and boom, it changes the game. I think it's more to kind of gradually become more strict. And if that's how they're going to do this, great. Make the game a little bit safer. The big thing for me is that consistency part that you mentioned. Of If they're going to be calling these instigator penalties, great. Actually make sure you, you keep doing it.
0: Yeah, I, I know I saw it Tuesday, I believe Wednesday, and Thursday, some level of these penalties being called. I don't think I watched quite as much hockey Friday, Saturday, Sunday, well Friday. I don't two of those days I don't even know how many games were actually on. Like Sunday, yeah. not not much. And I didn't see it called the next three days, basically. So maybe I was watching the wrong things, wrong games or whatever, but but it might be have lasted for exactly three days. Like that that's in my mind where we're at. And it wouldn't surprise me if there was a level of, okay, hold on, we need to pull back this a little bit because if you're going to, quite honestly, I think it could have the opposite effects. Like the instigator penalty for starting a fight is one thing, but if we're gonna offset every single, power play because there is a level of retaliation you're actually not really penalizing the player for taking a cheap shot dirty hit or whatever because the ultimate punishment well is a suspension but in the game it's getting scored on on that power play and the minute you take that away and put that out of the equation it's kind of an issue
1: yeah, I think it's kind of one of those where, in a way, okay, well, this would make sense. Uh, we, we call the penalty, let's say it's a boarding penalty, but someone jumps in, they're an instigator, we we call that too, and great, we penalized everyone that is worthy of being penalized, but w- once you take away that, call it advantage for that initial hit, um, initial infraction, you you kind of... Because you get rid of that advantage, I think you almost, um, you, you take away what that team has to feel good about for the situation was, okay, you know what, our guy just got hit pretty bad, but we've got a power play, we can take advantage of this, we can make it hurt for the other team too. When you take that away, it almost, I think, does that opposite effect like you said, and it might not. Calm the game down. It might do the opposite.
0: the I mean, the game we were watching, where I think it was the most kind of prevalent, or it really kind of came to light, is Sabres Rangers Thursday night. Um, there was there was a hit. I forget who uh, delivered, who took it, but um, Jordan Greenway was kind of the third man in, delivered a very well. It it was a cross check, but it was a it's a very questionable mild cross check. So by the Definition of a cross-check in the rule book it was a cross-check. It, it's the type of play that rarely gets called in the course of a game. So four-on-four four ensues after the Sabres were about to go on a power play. And then there was definitely a clear shift in how much both teams were hitting, how chippy the game got. And it felt like the refs were about to lose control. And that is not what you want to happen because it kind of sends a message that, hey, you can do whatever you want and we're just going to even it up and have four on four, which frankly the Sabres might have benefited from in that game. But that's that's a whole other discussion. But it, I think it's a demonstration of ex- of it's not having the intended effect. So I don't know if that was the game that changed course. But what I do know is Thursday night was the last time I can... Clearly remember seeing it happen.
1: Yeah. No, I, I'm I'm there with you. It's I, I think it's a situation that is tough. It's hard to say there's a for sure right answer. But and I, I guess I'll reiterate this. It really goes back to: Are they going to be consistent with it? It almost seems like maybe they're not going to be already. Just a week into the season, we can sort of lean that way. But uh, consistency with any rule that that's really what's important um
0: and that's kind of where the issue is so i mean we're what two three most teams are two three maybe four games into the seasons we sit here recording this any i guess takes that you want to throw out or very small sample size but i i i have a couple in mind but I, i'd be interested uh your takes kind of the first i guess about week of the season at this point
1: um so i guess the first thing i would want to point out or throw out there not to start picking on teams but that's kind of what we're here to do um Again, like you said, it's only a weekend. It's not necessarily how things are going to be, but uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning goalie situation seems to be as much of an issue as we kind of thought it was going to be, and it's not a knock on the players that they have. Um, It's more to highlight how big of a hole there is once you lose your franchise, good-for-60-games-a-year player Andre Vasilevsky.
0: Yeah, I I mean, my opinion, like light, the Lightning are fortunate to have a win. They they yeah. very easily could have lost to Nashville that for their first game, and it's not just the goalie. It's the I believe they're one of the worst, if not the worst, expected goals against. Basically, they're giving up really high quality shots to their opponents. So I don't think, no matter who's in that. Okay, maybe Vasileski is one of the few exceptions that can overcome that. The structure in front of them but they're just not playing well right now i mean i think that was that was a team that we were on and when we did our season previews as as a as an under point total we we were definitely expecting a step back and again we we have to say all this small sample size but there are definitely issues there
1: yeah it's one of those things there's We can say small sample size, but when you saw it coming and right away it's kind of like, well, this isn't a shock at all. This is kind of what we were expecting. Small sample size or not, it's an issue. Uh, So Tampa is the one that really sticks out to me because of how kind of obvious of a situation that could have been, and it seems like it's going to be that way. Um, I'll kind of uh, I'll I'll let you go. I'll let you go now. We can go back and forth.
0: I mean, I think I think same. I think a lot of the same things we just said about Tampa's apply to the Sabers as well. Um, we said on this on our Atlantic Division preview, our wrap ups, what like every time we talked Atlantic Division, every time we talked Sabers, we said they haven't done enough uh, on their blue line. And I'm not going to say Devin Levi has been bad. I don't think he's been bad. But he's also in line to start their first three games. And I think that's also telling how they feel about their goalie situation. Like, they need to get a win. And Devin Levi is being rolled out for three straight games. Probably a little unlucky against the Islanders. Rangers maybe a bad goal against. But I think a lot of the issues are defensive coverage and I mean a player that I think drew our eyes a little bit when it was when he was signed was Connor Clifton I don't remember if we talked about if I tweeted about it but I remember talking tweeting whatever oh the Sabres signed after they traded Ilya Labushkin oh so this is the idea is we're gonna think that Connor Clifton is going to be enough of an upgrade over Labushkin to do all this stuff and also commit more term, and again, small sample size, but two games, Connor Clifton seems to be Ilya Lobushkin.
1: Yeah, so I, I guess I, I want to start with a positive thought about their defensive additions. Clifton and Eric Johnson, from a penalty kill perspective, on paper, it looks like the Sabres improved defensively by bringing those two in um, or at least uh, I'll, I'll say that is before the first game of the season that that's kind of where you could point to and say well th- those additions are going to help there. issue being is uh, I mean we went through the whole offseason saying the, the Sabres really need a top four defenseman like another really solid defenseman I don't think they found that I think there was there was a point when Clifton was first signed where I think there were some people pointing to it, kind of saying, well, Clifton is this real good bottom pair player on a a very, very good team. Let's see if he can play up higher. It's going to, it's going to be good. This is a good addition. Three years, three mil, uh, maybe slightly more than that. 3.3. Um, the issue being there is you could easily spin it around and say one of the best teams ever who was a very good defensive team now you're taking their one of their not not to I'm not bashing the player at all but just one of their worst defensemen and putting him on a team that last season was opening eyes about how loosely they played, how offensive of a game they played. And not that they didn't care about defense, but it was almost to the point where it looked like at times they did not care to play defense. They did. I I don't want to say they didn't, but the style of play, it looks like that. So to take a bottom pair defenseman from a very, very good defensive team and put him into a higher role on a very bad defensive team and expect good things, th- that's kind of where my issue initially was. If signing Clifton, the plan was to have him play higher, a higher role, more minutes. And like you said, we've kind of said, this is a small sample beginning of the season. I'm not shocked at what we're seeing so far. We we even kind of saw it in the preseason, and everyone says, well, preseason's preseason, but when you know there are issues there before the preseason and you see them still in the preseason, it's okay to maybe worry a little, like, is this going to be a regular season thing, too? And so far it
0: is. I think last thing I, I'll mention, well, I guess I'll mention two things and then we'll move on. One on Clifton, Um, the fact that he was signed for the contract, he was played throughout training camp on realistically the team's top pair. And the idea was to bring in some righties to help balance your lineup a little bit. And then the first game of the season, he is on basically the third pair. Well, not immediately, but he ends the first game of the season on the third pair with one of him or Eric Johnson playing on their off wing. And it's like all of this, all of these decisions you have made. And this is where we end up after the first game into the second game again, two games, but like doesn't quite add up to me. And the other thing is the offense needs to get going. Um, Victor Olafson is seems to still be a black hole. I think you I think I've also, Set offline but that team needs needs their seven million dollar centers both of them to start playing like seven million dollar centers as well so i think that's where sabers tough opening couple games for sure against tough defensively structured teams but they need to if they want to be a playoff contender they need to start putting something together here so other teams I I we also have gone way too long without pointing out that Austin Matthews is on pace for 246 goals. Um,
1: yes, Matthews is doing very well. I feel like it is important to point out his teammate William Nylander, who is got a year left, needs a new deal, and he's not playing quite as well as Matthews from a goal perspective, but he's he's right up there. Both of those guys coming right out of the gate playing very well. Toronto looks very good. Very very good.
0: As we sit here, I think they're losing to the sh- Oh no, they just tied the Chicago Blackhawks. So, uh we're, we're we're sitting here recording while some of the games are going, so um kind of keeping tabs on those scores. Nylander, I'm glad you brought him up. Um I saw one of his goals that was a breath of fresh air where he dropped his shoulder and drove to the net. And if he starts doing that consistently, um, watch out. Because I think in the playoffs last year, he was phenomenal. But when it came to making that type of play, dropping his shoulder, driving in, he generally chose not to. So if he's going to start doing that consistently, like that's that's scary.
1: Yeah, um I, I wanna throw out there beginning of the off season before uh free agency started, before the draft happened, we initially had an extension at seven years nine point three million. Um I remember there being reports over the off season that the Maple Leafs were pretty much looking to get him down in the eight somewhere and that at this moment in time is pretty Fairly laughable, I think, and I would say even our projection of seven years, nine point three, is that would be a little team friendly for whoever he signs with.
0: Yeah, if Toronto could get him to agree to that right now, uh, they sh- they should literally make him put ink to pen to paper, let the ink dry right this minute because it that's just not realistic anymore. Yeah. Okay, so uh, after my joke on Toronto, that I think it was <laughs> important to stay with them a little bit other teams that uh, maybe have caught your attention i good or bad early on um well i'll i'll say
1: two teams i can't really comment on well it's not even two teams i i think it's a handful of teams i'm going to toss them out there um New York Islanders, Washington Capitals, Arizona Coyotes, Dallas Stars what they all have in common is they've only played one game so far and we're a week into the season um this doesn't need to be a big topic point of conversation by any means i just think it's interesting that we're a week into the season most teams not most a handful of teams have played three games already um there's four teams that have only played one game
0: I, i knew the cap so i've been kind of tracking all the scores as we've been recording this so you'll kind of be able to piece back when when we're sitting here recording this episode um One of the games I've kept an eye on has been Washington-Calgary because those are teams that both basically got spanked by Pittsburgh. Yeah. And um, after Pittsburgh dropped a laden egg against Chicago opening night. So I was kind of curious to see how that game was going to play out. Currently tied 2-2. On the same note, um, Arizona, He mentioned, that's the other probably team that I've been interested to keep an eye on. They're currently tied with the Rangers 1-1 after they they put together a really nice win against the New Jersey Devils. Yeah, went to a shootout. I know, I know. But, like, New Jersey's a good team, although they are also not doing great against the Florida Panthers right now, who is another team that had a little bit of a rough start to the season. But Washington, Arizona... Yeah, um, I'm interested to see what they're doing. I think Arizona might be decent.
1: Well, I mean, we kind of were hinting at that when we were uh, doing our division-by-division episodes. Uh, Anyone wants to see what we think about a full season for all these teams, go listen to those. Um, But I'll kind of dive in slightly with Arizona as far as kind of the sentiment we had for them. Arizona, I, I think everyone kind of looks over them because they're Arizona, but they've kind of quietly built a solid roster that w- we talked about this. We're not saying Arizona is a playoff team yet, but they're not going to be a team that can just be walked over. They They have enough pieces there now where – they're going to give some teams some trouble. We've seen it already um, with New Jersey. You said, yeah, it was a shootout. I don't think anyone thought Arizona should be getting New Jersey to a shootout. So just that in itself, even if they lost, that's a win for Arizona, mm-hmm. playing that well against that team. Um, they might be quietly good, and I, I think the question is how long does it last? Does it last the full year? I don't know, half the year? Not going to talk too much about this because you can go listen to it in our division by division episodes. But maybe it only lasts till around the deadline for Arizona. Not sure, but yes, they, they've they've started off pretty
0: well. Uh kind of keeping in the div- well, I guess their former division. Um, and as well as kind of the idea, uh, getting back to who we you know we're talking about is having clear issues. Um, I want to point out the L.A. Kings here. Um, they've scored goals. Their offense has been good, but as we talked about again in in that, in the Pacific Division discussion, um, goaltending—they're just—they're letting up too many goals. Like the the offense is there, the roster seems to be there outside of that one critical piece, and ooh, <laughs> for a team that has legitimate playoff. I'm not going to say Stanley Cup aspirations, but I think they internally probably think they might have a level of aspirations. Um, this is not a good start.
1: No, and I think, you know, we've talked about they have two backup goalies, um, Phoenix Copley and Cam Talbot. So they had traded for Jonas Corpusalo. They end up letting him walk. He goes to Ottawa. I don't think the deal he signed with Ottawa is a good deal to sign for a team. Jonas Korpisalo, the player, I would have been more comfortable with than Cam Talbot or Phoenix Copley. Now, Phoenix Copley played 37 games last year for the Kings. What was the plan going into this year? Was it for him to play that amount of games again? Because if that was the case, that's not good. If it was for him to play 20 games, well, does that mean your expectation was Cam Talbot plays 60? Because that's also maybe even worse. So, uh, again, this is one of those scenarios. Tough to say, sample size. It's only been a week. But we're not, at least I'm not shocked that this is happening for the Kings. Because, like you said, they can score. They cannot keep pucks out of their own net.
0: Yeah, um, maybe the Kings were hoping for a team to put someone on waivers, and or and pick one of a goalie up off of that. I mean, that's still not an encouraging like idea or anything, yeah. but maybe that's where they were kind of looking. Um, but yeah, they've they've been a little bit of a disappointment. Edmonton as well getting yeah run over by Vancouver. T-
1: Um, Goaltending is an issue in Edmonton Not a shocker That said, they just have not played well at all Um, You can't just point to the goaltending with them And say that's that's what happened Um, It's a thing that happened But they really just need to turn it around
0: any any other teams we we want to want to highlight before we start uh before we wrap this one up i guess Vancouver yeah Vancouver i mean which
1: i'll I'll start with this with Vancouver and uh, let's uh kind of see what we think about this statement Vancouver on paper is a good team they aren't a great team. I'm not picking them to go far in the playoffs, but on paper, sure, they can make the playoffs. Issue with Vancouver is on paper, they in theory could have been good last year or the year before. Um, they've got the franchise center for now, at least we don't, I'm not overly confident in that situation. It seems to be a little tumultuous. But on paper, they could push for a wild-card spot. Um, Brock Besser's having a great start to the year, scoring some goals. They've got a someone who we know in the past can play to a clear number one goalie level. And if he can do that, um, great. All of a sudden, they start looking good. They've got a number one defenseman in Quinn Hughes. They've got a decent team on paper. They just haven't been able to make it all gel together and work. And, again, sample size. We'll keep reiterating that with pretty much every take here. But it seems like maybe that decent
0: team on paper is finally gelling a little bit. I Yeah, Um two ga- i mean two games is two games my even more hesitancy is is it's against is it's the same team um yeah doesn't happen a ton and hockey sometimes just comes down to matchups and styles of play like an 8-1 defeat of the Oilers i think it was 8-1 i i kind of stopped paying attention after <laughs> Vancouver hit eight Um, but the, the opening game for Vancouver and then being able to come back and win four, three, the second game, um, that's, that's impressive for sure. But at the same point, is it Edmonton just matches up poorly with what the Canucks have the style of play? They bring the, just the personnel that they're able to deploy. Like very few teams are going to be able to put a Quinn Hughes out there to potentially skate with Connor McDavid. So like, i don't know i mean i'm being a little i guess i'm being a little optimistic for edmonton maybe not giving enough credit to vancouver but i would i'm I'm looking forward to seeing a couple more games from i guess both those teams because maybe it's just a bad matchup for edmonton i don't know
1: it could be one of those games too where well i guess two games i suppose but One team comes in kind of thinking like, all right, we've got this. This is a great start to our year before anyone steps onto the ice and they just kind of wrote it off as a win a little too early. I I don't know that to be the case, but that's possible. I'm still sitting here like obviously I am picking Edmonton over Vancouver if we're talking playoffs um, or even just getting to the playoffs. But good start for Vancouver definitely makes you kind of say, okay, hang on, can they string together another week or two? And if they do that, then, then there's some questions of could they make some noise and maybe one of the teams you think just sneaks into the playoffs. I think we both had Winnipeg in the Western Conference sneaking a wild card. Maybe that's not what happens. Maybe Vancouver is able to grab that
0: spot we also both had Seattle kind of comfortably in and Seattle has not started well i think tough matchup to open the season and a tough travel schedule so again small sample size plus i think some other factors but um C- seattle's start's a little concerning as well but we'll we'll see where that come where that goes it's it's actually not the issues that we highlighted like grubauer has actually been fine too good it's been they haven't scored goals and I think that will start coming so maybe uh, Seattle I can make my money back that I've lost already betting on them uh, (laughs) in the next couple games here um so I think with that it's kind of where the NHL season kind of is right now early on absolutely but um were it, as those are teams that we're going to be definitely keeping an eye on, but as we said, two three games, it's really hard to draw any very very serious conclusions. Um, but we'll we'll kind of continue to sprinkle in these state of the league every every so often. We're not doing a full recap every week. That just is it's impractical. We're not talking about a team playing two more games, three more games, but probably at some level of benchmarks, we'll come back with these type of episodes. Look around the league. Um, but we appreciate you listening subscribing to this podcast on any platform you might be consuming it on Uh, questions thoughts on teams or anything like that at afp analytics on twitter we appreciate uh, always always welcome questions and stuff like that and uh, with that we'll talk to you next time